Good evening. If you've already met somebody with a good morning by accident today, it happens to the best of us. So, but good evening. We're glad that you have taken an opportunity to come worship with us here on what we call Ash Wednesday. Ash Wednesday is the beginning of the Lenten season. The Lenten season goes from Ash Wednesday, really 40 days, and then ends um, in Easter and the resurrection. So it's a time traditionally for reflection and for um, discipline on some level, spiritual practices, those an opportunity to reflect upon who we are in light of who God is. And God is someone that we'll see as victorious over death and victorious over all things and brings us back from the dead and brings us to resurrection. But in order to really take part in that and understand how God does that, we also have to first face that we are not God. And because we are not God, we are mortals and we are in need of God's grace. Um, and so Ash Wednesday is not always the happiest of occasions. It's not one of those worship services where we tell you everything's going to be all right. It's a worship service where we remember that without God, not everything is all right. And that's okay, because that's the starting place for our journey to where everything is all right. And so I'm glad that you're taking time to be here tonight to begin a journey through Lent, a journey towards Easter, but starting in this place tonight where we remember that without God, it's not going to be all right. And fortunately for us, the good news that I'll start with is God is here and God is with us. And because God is with us, it will be all right. And so in Ash Wednesday, we will um, come in a little bit to put ashes on our forehead. I'll give some more instructions around that. But right now, I would love to invite you to stand and join with us in our call to worship. Um, for those of you in the, who usually come to contemporary service, you'll find that on the screen. And there is a part for the leader and a part for all. We were crafted by God's perfect love. We were made by an eternal God. From ashes we were made. Let us sing. time with Carrie Lynn. for being here. Um, Pastor David just talked to us and he said that today is the start of a season in the church. And it's a word that starts with, the, with an L. Does anybody remember what that word was? Yes? Lent. Now, is Pastor David talking about... Was Pastor 
Pastor David talking about the lint that's in my pocket? No. What kind of, does, do you know how it's spelled? It's L-E-N-T. And Lent is this special time in the church where we take 40 days and we get ready for Easter. Now, if you go home and you do the math, you'll see that it's like 45 days between now and Easter, but we don't count the Sundays. Does anybody know why? No, every Sunday is supposed to be a little Easter. So for Lent, some people will give something up or they'll take something on, like they may give up all dessert. Does that sound hard? Or all sodas. Or complaining. Some of y'all couldn't do well with that. Uh, Some people take on doing more chores to help their parents around the house as a nice little spiritual discipline. Um, But we do it to help us draw closer to God. But on the Sundays, we can have what we gave up or I guess don't do what we take on. So if you gave up sweets, you know what you could have on Sunday? Sweets, because you would be celebrating a little Easter. Isn't that so fun? So what's going to happen here in a few minutes, I want to show you this, because it can be kind of scary if you don't see it first. But we have these ashes. So it's Ash Wednesday. And these are the ashes from the palms that we had on Palm Sunday last year. We burned those. And these are the ashes. And what's going to happen is that everybody's going to come forward and we're going to, the pastor is going to put their hand in here and put ashes on your forehead. Because in the Old Testament, when people were sorry about things, they put ashes on their forehead. Do we do things that sometimes we have to say sorry for? Yeah. Yeah. Is it important that we say sorry to God sometimes? Yeah. And so we do that. We put ashes on our forehead to say sorry. But in the Old Testament, they would just rub them on their forehead in like no shape at all. And we don't do that. We put them in the shape of a cross. Do you know why we would do that? Exactly. So it's a reminder that we're sorry to the things that we've done that God doesn't want us to do. But God also forgives us for that. So when you come forward, you can, um, if you don't want one of the pastors to put the ashes on your forehead, you can put your hand forward. Um, But it doesn't hurt and there's nothing, like you won't feel it. Um, But it's just a way of us recognizing that sometimes we do things that we have to apologize for. But God's grace is always there for us. How does that sound? Good. (laughs) Okay, can you pray with me and then we'll be done? All right, let's pray. Dear God, thank you for your grace and your love. Sometimes we do things that we have to say sorry for. Thank you for always forgiving us and always loving us. In your name we pray. Amen. Awesome. Thank you. Go back to your mom. So I'm going to invite uh, Pastor Carrie Lynn and Pastor Wendy to um, all be in our spots. We're going to do a little something different this year. Normally um, we Uh, wait until the very end and the uh, call to come forward to receive ashes upon your forehead or your hand is done at the very end and then you have them for your five-minute drive home and then you take a shower and they're just all gone immediately um, because we're not doing them in the morning or to wear them all day. And so um, this year I wanted to let you sit at least in the worship service with the ashes on your head to um, have that moment of reflection of why we have ashes on our head as we're continuing our worship service. So We're going to go ahead and um, bless the ashes and then um, invite you forward to have uh, one of our pastors put them on your head or on your hand. Um, Instructions before we say a prayer over the ashes. Um, One, if you are tall and we are not, um, we just ask that maybe you make it easy on us Um, that way. um, If you have bangs and you don't want ashes in your hair, it's best to kind of help us and put them, uh, put them back out of your head. If you are bald, thank you for giving us a whole landscape to <laughs> decorate. Uh, Mike Oates is my favorite person every single year um, to do that with. And so, um, but as you come forward, just we, we will um, make the sign of a cross on your forehead um, unless you put out your hand. If you put out your hand, we'll do the sign of a cross on your hand. And you will hear the words, from dust you were formed, to dust you shall return, or from dust you came, to dust you shall return. 
And that is referring to Genesis chapter 3, verse 19, in which we are reminded that we are made out of dust and we will return to dust. And as I like to add a qualifier in there, God did some amazing things out of dust. And even though we face our mortality, we know that God can still do amazing things out of dust. And so um, let us pray over our ashes. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, you have created us out of the dust of the earth. Bless these ashes that they may be a sign to us of our mortality and our repentance, so that we may remember that only by your gracious gift are we giving, given everlasting life. May they be a reminder of your grace, and may your grace be a reminder that we have still some work to do. Because God, even if our individual lives may seem perfect at the moment, we can look at the world around us and know that all is not completely well. And where there is one injustice, where there is one wrong, where there is one hurting person, then we know that in your kingdom we all hurt. And so God, may the sign of a cross that we take on for us today be a sign of mourning, be a sign of repentance, be a sign that we know we are not capable of all that you ask on our own and that we need the cross and that we need your son and that we need your spirit to make us one and show us the way. Amen. As the choir sings, we invite you to come as um, Jack and Ivan um, release you. Um, we'll just invite you to come down the aisles. Just come to whatever station is most easily accessible at the time. Um, but we invite you to come and receive.
Isaiah 58, reading verses 1 to 5. Shout out. Do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Announce to my people their rebellion, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet day after day they seek me and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that practiced righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why do they fast? But you do not see. Why humble ourselves? But you do not notice. Look, you serve your own interests on your fast day and oppress all your workers. Look, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to strike with a wicked fist. Such fasting as you do today will not make your voice heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose, a day to humble oneself? Is it to bow down the head like a bulrush and to lie in sackcloth and ashes? Will you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? This is the word of the Lord. As our ushers prepare to take this evening's offering, you're probably wondering on the night in which we recognize our mortality, why would we take an offering? Seems a little counterintuitive. Um, but one of the things that we want to put in front of all of you in every season of the life of the church is how important the spiritual discipline of generosity is. Um, as we have talked about here at Creekwood, um, we want you to be cheerful givers, we want you to be joyful givers, and we want you to see that when you give, it is to the ministries of this church that try to make the world look more like the kingdom of God. We know that we are a church made up of people that sin and we make mistakes and we have our missteps, and yet we are a church made of people who recognize the sign of the cross amidst the ashes, the good that is happening alongside the human, and that is what we are striving for here. So I hope that that inspires you to possibly give this evening, um, or if you're already giving regularly to Creekwood, we thank you for your generosity for that. Would you pray with me over tonight's offering? God, we are not you. We ask that you would continue to put the reminders in our life that we need your grace and your love and your forgiveness. God, as we return back a portion to you what you have so generously given to us, we ask that it might be used to help this church and this community made up of humans who make mistakes to be drawn closer to you so that we might continue to know that we are not you, but you want us. It's in your name that we ask all of these things. Amen.
unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me, uphold me with thy free spirit, thy free So one of my teachers at Candler School of Theology was a bishop in residence, which means he was a retired bishop who had a sweet gig at a seminary teaching, and his name was Woody White. And Bishop White had a way of speaking to where you remembered the things that he said. He said one time, how can we call ourselves a community of love and grace when we're too busy to even know who is around us and look in each other's faces. But I also remember this one distinct sermon where he said this very interesting thing in my mind. He said, friends, in the practice of ministry, you must get used to one word, ambiguity, which is not a word often used when we're looking for the certainty found in religious practice. But he said, you must get used to the one word, ambiguity, there will be people whom you know are evil, disgusting, and unworthy of grace, and you're going to have to wrestle with the fact that God loves them as much as God loves you. But in that same sermon, which was centered around forgiveness, he came back and told us, we have made forgiveness an excuse to carry on in our own bad habits with no consequence, instead of an invitation to a life that is infinitely better for you and everyone around you. We've made forgiveness an excuse to carry on in our own bad habits because we've been forgiven rather than an invitation to accept, accept the invitation to a life that is infinitely better for us and those around us. And Bishop White knew something about forgiveness because he was a black man who was born and raised in Detroit, Michigan in the 50s. And he felt the call to go into ministry, and he went through college, and he went through seminary, and he got ordained up around Detroit, Michigan. And his very first appointment as a pastor within the soon-to-be United Methodist Church, because it was around 1968 and it merged from the Evangelical Brethren and the Methodist Episcopal Church, merged into the United Methodist Church. And Bishop White's first appointment as a pastor coming out of Detroit, Michigan as a black man was to help integrate the United Methodist Church in the South in the areas of Alabama, Louisiana, Mississippi, Georgia, and Florida. It's because what the Evangelical Brethren wouldn't stand for, see, back in 1939, the Methodist Episcopal Church and the Methodist Episcopal Church South, which had split around the time of the Civil War over whether clergy and members were allowed to own slaves— in 1939, they had decided to get back together, but the churches that had been part of the Methodist Episcopal Church South wouldn't join because they didn't want to be lumped in the same organizational group as anybody who was black. And so they created this thing called the Central Jurisdiction. And the Central Jurisdiction was codified racism. It was, we can have a church down the street from us that has the same cross and flame, but we don't belong to the same group. And Bishop Woody White's first job in ministry was to fly from Detroit, Michigan to an office in Birmingham, Alabama in 1968 and speak with grace to the white clergy who had never wanted the black churches 
in the same organization as they had been. He also had to work with all of the predominantly black churches to forgive those other churches and be in full communion with the white churches that had never wanted them to be a part of their communion before. And in all of this, he told us about the stares that he got from people who might as well have been taking a drill to his head. He told us about people that wouldn't listen to him because they announced that a special person from the United Methodist Church is coming to talk to us about this merger and this union, and he would walk on stage as a black man, and people would leave and walk out. And like other black men of those days, with a job of grace, he had to take it. Because he was going to offer forgiveness that lasted. Bishop White told us a story of how he had to help a black church have a social event with a church whose church council chair, essentially, at the time, was a leader in the Ku Klux Klan. He knows a little bit about forgiveness. He knows a little bit about radical forgiveness. He knows a little bit about the forgiveness that is offered through Jesus Christ to any and all people, including that leader of the Ku Klux Klan, that they believe there is redemption available for everybody. He knows about forgiveness, and he knows about how serious God is about forgiveness. But you can forgive him if he was a little exhausted by the time he gave this sermon, because just the week before, there was racist graffiti sprayed all over the law school at Emory University, where Candler School of Theology was located. So much forgiveness that he had worked for throughout the decades, but we had made forgiveness an excuse to carry on in our own bad habits with no consequence instead of accepting an invitation to a life that is infinitely better for us and for the people around us. Paul writes about this in Romans chapter 6, in this rhetorical argument. He's been talking about the power and abundance of God's grace. The bigger the sin, the more the grace offered, right? And it's this great exploration into how big God's grace is, because even the biggest of sinners are uh, graces available to God. But he has to ask this obvious rhetorical question then. If, if the bigger the sin, the bigger the sinner, the greater God's grace is, and the greater God's glory is, what then we are to say? And, Verse 2, what are then we to say? Should we continue in sin in order that grace may abound? Just to prove God's glory, should we just go around in our bad habits? Should we go around in our sin instead of making any modification to respond to God's grace for us? In other words, are we willing to put ashes on our head tonight, accept that we are not God, know that we are finite, mortal, imperfect humans in need of God's grace, and go back to normal? Or are we okay if decades from now, the same bad habits get recognized again. The passage when he read from Isaiah 58 details people who have fallen into some bad habits again. Isaiah 58 is part of Isaiah at the very end where people in the exile and who had been exiled in Babylon for 70 years are released and brought back into Jerusalem and they're starting to regain life again. They're trying to form identity again. And what we see from this passage in Isaiah is they've just fallen back into the same bad habits that their parents or their grandparents uh, perpetrated before. The, the whole reason that they were in exile to begin with. It's almost like they thought two plus two wouldn't equal four anymore. If they just came back and did the same thing, that they'd get a different result than what had happened to their parents or grandparents that they had heard about or what had happened to them if they were old enough. But here's the thing is when we read what Isaiah is upset about, they're going to church. They're fasting. They're, they're engaging in the worship. They are even putting sackcloth and ashes upon their head. They're doing all of the worshipful activities of a church. Everything looks right on the surface. But back in 2007 at Emory University, they looked at the security footage where they could see three high school boys putting racist graffiti on the side of the law school. 
Now, the police went to their house, and they questioned them. They eventually charged them, and they took their statements, and it was released in the news. They told the entire um, tale of that night. And, you know, we look at three high school boys, and we may think, you know, boys will be boys, kids will be kids. They're just being silly. They're just being crazy. They didn't know any better. But what the police found out that night is that the three boys were coming from Glen Memorial United Methodist Church. They'd just gotten done with youth group. And they decided to stop along the way. And the response from the friends and the neighbors, what's the response we always get when we see these people on the news that have done these heinous acts of violence and they go and they interview the neighbors and what do the neighbors always say? We never would have done that, right? They were such good boys. They went to church. They got ashes on their foreheads. They even went through confirmation, I'm sure of it. But we made forgiveness an excuse to continue in our bad habits instead of an invitation to a life that is infinitely better for us and those around us. Because in our heads, we're doing everything right. The Israelites were doing everything right. These boys were doing everything right. But, and and the, the Israelites who are going to worship and putting ashes on their forehead and doing all of the things in which they are seeking God's forgiveness or seeking God's blessing simply by throwing themselves in the midst of what good Christians do, what good Jewish people do, good worshiping people do. They're doing all of the right behaviors to get forgiveness. But what Isaiah comes back and says the fast of the Lord ought to be that what the ashes are supposed to lead to, this invitation to a life that is infinitely better for us and those around us. Isaiah 58, 6 through 9, that follows up from what we heard is, says, is not this the fast that I choose? Is this not the worship that I choose? To loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked, to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own kin. Then your light shall break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up quickly. Your vindicator shall go, break, uh, shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry for help, and he will say, Here I am. And what were the bad habits that these Israelites had fallen into? What was the whole reason for the exile to begin with? Well, you can look at any prophetic book in the Old Testament, but you might find something like Amos chapter 5, verse 21 through 24. I hate, I despise your festivals. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings, I will not accept them, and the offerings of well-being of your fatted animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the melody of your harps, but... Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. It's one thing to come and recognize our need for forgiveness. And it's one thing to ask for forgiveness. It's one thing to delight in a God who is so loving and so graceful that there would even be grace for the leader of the Ku Klux Klan or name your villain in your own story. It's one thing to know there's an all-loving, all forgiving God who is constantly giving to us this invitation to a life that is infinitely better for us and for everyone around us. It's a whole other thing and what God despises for us to accept that forgiveness as an excuse to continue in our bad habits. For us to continue in the bad habits that destroy us personally or destroy those around us. Because it really makes forgiveness cheap. Paul would go on in Romans chapter 6 from that rhetorical question, should we not just keep sinning so that God's glory keeps getting amplified? Should we not just come every year and put ashes on our head and think, oh my gosh, I'm God, I'm in need of repentance, and, and I'll come again next year and say the same thing, right? It's kind of like when you hear people who are lapsed Catholic who talk about the last time they went to confession. Or we watch any movie and it's forgive me, Father, for it's been, you know, since my first confession, since I've been to my last confession. Paul answers back, by no means. How can we who died to sin go on living in it? 
How can we who have heard a better story, an invitation to a life infinitely better for us and everyone around us, continue to live in sin? And here's the thing. 98, you know, everyone in this room is not spray-painting racist graffiti on the side of a law school anywhere. Everyone in this room is not joining ISIS of any sort. No one in this room is living a life in which they're coming to church regularly and thinking, oh my gosh, God is going to strike me down for the, you know, offenses that I'm creating. No one in this room is hurting someone to a newsworthy level, at least I assume. But everyone in this room cannot claim to be perfect. There's no one in this room that can claim to be perfect. 99% of our lives might be absolutely just fine, but there is that 1% in which we recognize that we're not perfect. And if we're not perfect, then there is someone who is perfect because there's a standard of goodness that we're invited to. And there's a standard of love and forgiveness that we're invited to, and we've been invited to that standard by Jesus Christ. And we've seen that standard in Jesus Christ. And what we often do is, just like the Israelites have been forgiven from the exile, just like we have been forgiven by Jesus Christ, we have these incredible experiences, and perhaps an emotional experience at Ash Wednesday, or Easter, or Christmas, or any Sunday, or any moment that we have with God. We have an emotional experience, and for a little while, we proclaim and profess that we are not God, and we need God, and we fall back in love with God over and over and over again until the bad habits start to show up again, or it's hard to live into that life we are invited into. When we encounter scriptures in Amos, that say, I don't care what your choir sounds like. I don't care what your praise band sounds like. I don't care how fancy your sanctuary is. I don't care how much land you have. I don't care how great your sermons are. I don't care how pretty you look today. If there are people who are hurting around you, if there are people who are hurting sitting next to you, if, in fact, you are hurting yourself. What God cares about, what worship means to God, is this heavenly vision where justice and righteousness and mercy are mixed together in the way that we treat each other. That the way God has treated us, this gift of forgiveness that we have been given, this gift of forgiveness that I pray we're all seeking tonight, no matter how much of our 99% is doing just fine, this gift of forgiveness that we are seeking tonight, what I, what I think God desires is that that forgiveness leads to something. And it leads for us to treat each other and treat ourselves the same way that God has treated us. That we can no longer take a glimpse into a world of sin and say, you know, that's fine as long as 98% of it is good but we've seen something better, we've experienced something better. And God so desires our habits to change to something else so that we can get to experience a life that is infinitely better for us and everyone around us. One of the cool things I learned about ashes recently, it says at the end of the verse 5 that Wendy read for us, you know, part of worship was this proclaiming of repentance and, and mourning by putting on sackcloth and ashes. It's not something we do very often. We do it once a year at the beginning of Lent um, in Protestant churches, but in the Jewish tradition back in that day, and even in other cultures, they would cover themselves with ashes and put on sackcloth. They would take away their, their normal everyday wear, and they would do something different because it was a recognition that something needed to be different. If they lost somebody, they would mark themselves with ashes so that they could specifically be seen as mourning so that the community or the God would step in and comfort them because if we don't know that anything is different, how can anything be different? And so they would mark themselves to say, something is different. I am sad. Please come and help me and lift me up and be with me. Or if they were repenting on some level, they would put ashes upon their head or they would cover themselves in sackcloth and ashes to say, something needs to be different because what I've been doing, my bad habits have led me to a place of death and decay, and I need someone to help me come and do something different. And what I learned in all of that is that it wasn't just a worshipful action of, I'm waiting on God to do something, but it was a sign for the community to rally around them. 
For those who are mourning, it was a sign for the community to come and fill their pantry with food because they don't have the energy to do it because they're too sad. And for those who are in need of repentance, it was an invitation for all of those who love this person to come and hold them accountable as they seek to have a life that is infinitely better for them and everyone around them. And so as we begin this journey of Lent together, I'd like to remind you that nothing is different if we don't let people know it needs to be different. If we are not vulnerable with each other, with how we're struggling, whether it's through the sadness or mourning that we feel, or what we don't feel capable of and we need encouragement for, or that we are on a wrong track and I need somebody to journey with me back to a right track that is something more in line with what Isaiah is proclaiming God desires from all of us. And that vulnerability means an open heart. It means a confession. Every year I feel like I have to convince people why Ash Wednesday is important because it's not like the happy-go-lucky worship service that we all love. It's important because it's something different. It's important because at least on some level you came forward and you got a cross in your head that says, I would like to be better. And I would like for God to help me get there. But I'd like for you also to hear is there are at least a hundred other people in this room that you can also say that to, who have your back in a godly way to support you to a life that is infinitely better for you and for everyone around you. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, we know that if we don't do something different, we will never experience different. That if we do not confess to the bad habits that we may carry, no matter how minuscule or small, that we will never move to the better habits that you have proclaimed for us and shown us through your Son, Christ, who walked the earth, who died for us, who is the reason we put the cross on our head and not simply cover ourselves with ashes. And so, God, may our hearts be open or may they be broken. May our minds be open, and may you fill them with visions of the righteousness that will lead to a life that is infinitely better for ourselves and those around us. God, my prayer tonight is that at least in the individuals who are in our room together right now, for the individuals or, or for the families who are in our rooms together, or for the friend groups who are in our room together, or for the choir that is in our room together, my prayer tonight is that we don't look up in a decade and we're still doing the same things that are destructive to ourselves and our community. My prayer, Lord, is that through our discipline and through such inspiration of the love that you've given to us, from such inspiration and dedication that you show to us in such massive amounts of forgiveness, that, Lord, that forgiveness is not taken for granted, but that forgiveness is acted upon, and our community would see a group of people so excited about what you have done for us, that while we were yet sinners, you came and gave your love to us and your grace for us, not so that we could get out of jail free and continue on down the paths of our own bad habits, Lord, but that we could respond in such a way that our community would, that they would not be able to help, but wonder what is different about them, God? What is so amazing about the grace they have experienced? And how can I have that too? So God, for your grace that satisfies all of our forgiveness, we give you thanks. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all God's people said, Amen. We are not going to sing a song of praise after this. We are going to let you sit in discomfort. And I'm going to give a benediction, and we're going to leave. And I'm not even going to pretend that you will leave in silence because my favorite thing about you is that you love to talk to each other. 
but because we put ashes on our heads so that the community might see that we could use some help, that we could use a friend, that we could use someone to laugh with. I'm going to tell you, it's okay to laugh on Ash Wednesday. You already have. Do it with somebody else tonight. Look at the cross on their head and look in their eyes. Because I think the most memorable thing that Bishop White, out of all the stories and all the sayings, reminded me of is that if we are so busy, so consumed with ourselves, that we can't take the time to look in the person's eyes next to us, how will we ever be a community of love and grace? So would you stand and receive our benediction? May the ashes that we wear tonight be a sign of God's grace, not only for us, but for everyone who sees them. May we be a community that loves each other, respects each other, and honors each other because God has done the same for us. And ultimately, may we be transformed to be fully people who love God, love our neighbor, and love ourselves. Amen. Go in peace. Thank you again for joining us in worship. If you'd like to find out more information about how you can grow spiritually or engage with the missions of our church, please visit our website at creekwoodumc.org. Have a wonderful day.